0: Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker.
1: OK. What's the difference between a trombone player and a frog? What? The frog's on the way to a gig. <laughs> so many layers of dumb. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan.
2: Hi, I'm Rico Galliano, And from APM, American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download. Culture, food, and humor to fuel your party conversations.
0: You just got a musician joke from musician Amy Mann. Ah. That'll break the ice. She'll be back later to talk about her new album and to answer your etiquette questions. Plus, we'll speak with actor Hank Azaria, star of the new comedy Brockmire, and the voice behind some of your favorite residents of Springfield. That would be the home of The Simpsons,
2: of course. Also coming up, comic Jason Jones tells a story from the big city. And Alex Capranos, frontman of the band Franz Ferdinand, and the new supergroup Banquet spins
0: us a playlist that'll take you from Scotland to Latin America. Plus salt science, cocktails, and more. But first, small talk. All week long,
2: you've been hearing these headlines.
1: 41 Democratic senators intend to block the nomination
3: of Judge Neil Gorsuch. University of North Carolina has won the NCAA tournament. North Korea launched another missile, the fourth attempted missile launch this year.
2: Now for a story you might not have heard. We are here with Molly Wood. She is senior tech correspondent for Marketplace and co-host of the podcast Make Me Smart, which makes you smart. And Molly,
4: <laughs>
5: what story are you going to be talking about at parties this week? So smart. Uh, well, as senior tech correspondent, it's my job to talk about video games as much as possible. Uh, and I see? Uh, I'm going to be talking about the fact that the University of Utah just became the first major university to offer a scholarship in esports, basically video gaming. Esports are video games. Esports are so. electronic sports. They will get scholarships for competitive video gaming. So policing your children's gaming just got a whole lot harder. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. Because now it pays for college. So I'm just saying. Where
0: was this when we were
2: growing up is what I want to know. I
5: mean, I said to my child, you better pick up that Overwatch playing because you are lagging. Kids started way earlier than you, buddy.
2: But why are they doing this? What does the college get out of having video gamers on campus? I
5: mean, This college, at least in particular, the University of Utah, has a a world-class arts and engineering department where they actually do video Mm. game design. So uh, you could argue that they get a bunch of great guinea pigs to test video games Ah. on and that the gamers themselves have a great academic program to fall into if they're interested in the design part of it, too. Who do I they compete I... against? Are there are there other E-teams at different schools? There aren't that many big schools that have it. So uh, that's the question is how that tournament scene would look. Yeah. But this, mm. this world of competitive video games, I mean, it's going to be a billion-dollar industry globally by 2019. What are we doing in public radio? Uh, we're wasting our time, frankly. <laughs> 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 we could be playing video Move games. Move over, kid. It's my turn for Overwatch. I don't know about you, but I drove
0: my Super Mario Kart to work today. Uh, weird. Molly Wood, <laughs> thanks so much for the small talk.
2: My
5: pleasure.
0: And now time for cocktails.
2: Once again, we tell you something that happened this week in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's our charcoal-filtered history lesson with booze. Tasty. First, the history part. Around this time, back in the 19th century, one of the wonders of the natural world became
0: one of the creepiest. Michelle Philippi tells the tale.
3: Niagara Falls is the most powerful waterfall in North America. Every minute, 168,000 cubic meters of water flow through it. And on March 30th, 1848, it went dry. For real. That morning, townsfolk on either side of the falls, used to the constant roar of all that water, woke up to total silence. Where once flowed a mighty river, they found an almost empty riverbed, strewn with dead fish. This was terrifying on a bunch of levels. First of all, economically. The river powered water wheels in the local mills. But suddenly, there was no river. The area also boasted a thriving tourism industry, thanks to sightseers who flocked to see the falls. But suddenly, there were no falls. And, of course, there was the just plain freakiness of it all. While some curious locals wandered the riverbed, collecting ancient tomahawks and other newly exposed treasures, thousands more crowded into churches and prayed for God to bring the water back. Turns out, the problem wasn't supernatural. What happened was, winds had blown tons of ice from Lake Erie into the mouth of the Niagara River blocking it. When the ice melted 30 hours later, the falls roared back to life. And it's kept flowing ever since. Except once, in 1969, when engineers purposely dammed up the falls to try and remove dangerous rocks. A nice bonus, they found millions of coins in the riverbed. So many, they had to be hauled out in buckets.
0: So that was the history lesson. Now, for a drink to go along with it, I am joined by Peter Ducci. He is a bar manager at the Remington Tavern, which is just downriver from Niagara Falls. Peter, you heard the history. What cocktail did it inspire you to make?
6: Well, this drink is called the River Jam, and I think it uh, pays homage to both sides of the river using Canadian rye whiskey, Crown Royal to be exact, and fresh Niagara County sourced blackberries.
0: All right. this right. I'm glad that you came up with the drink because I also thought one way to deal with this story would be just to shut down your bar for a day. <laughs> Can you imagine what would happen? I mean, what, would, what do you think would happen today if all of a sudden the falls just stopped?
6: Perhaps the worst, part, the worst parts in the Bible.
0: <laughs> it would be pretty disorienting. One of the fears would be tourism would stop, but I think if the falls stopped... You'd have a good five years of people just going up there, checking out. Oh, my goodness, what happened over
6: here, right? I'd take a day off from work and head up there myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Peter, so what's in your drink?
6: Um, We have uh, a—it's called a Hum. It's a botanical liqueur uh, made from a master mixologist— uh, out of Chicago. Okay. I think it's completely underutilized. I only discovered it myself uh, a few months ago. Hmm. But it's got nice flavors of uh, hibiscus, ginger root, green cardamom, and kefir lime. So
0: did you select hum partially because uh, the sound that the falls make, you know, when it went silent?
6: Actually, absolutely, yeah. There was a small humming when the ice jam broke. So, Yeah. Uh, then we add uh, some locally grown uh, blackberries muddled at the bottom of the glass with a very thinly sliced lemon. A little bit of jam is going to go in with the uh, crown royal rye uh, into a shaker. So you're
0: going to put some berries in there, and then you're also going to include a little bit of jam? Yeah. Oh, I like the jam
6: pun. That's exactly what I was thinking. I'm glad you picked that up. (laughs) Then add some coarsely chunked ice to uh, resemble an ice jam, if you will. Of course. Uh, Shake up the remaining ingredients, splash a little soda water in the glass, and just fill the glass up. Absolutely refreshing and delicious.
0: And then you put it in a super soaker and blast someone in the face with it, <laughs> like, like Niagara Falls. Only on spring break, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Ducci of the Remington Tavern near Niagara Falls. Yeah. And you'll find that recipe and a raging rapids worth of others ah. on our website, dinnerpartydownload.org. And while you're there, ladies and gentlemen, you can also learn how, in the name of God,
2: you listeners ended up crowning the gin and tonic the winner of our Martini Madness Five. Tournament. Yeah, it's the upset of the century.
0: Yes, we can call it the miracle on ice. Uh, can see two. how it all went down at dinnerpartydownload.org. All right, we've heard some history, had a drink, and
2: now let's hear some music. And here with that is Alex Capranos, frontman of the beloved Scottish dance pop band Franz Ferdinand and member of the new indie supergroup of sorts. It's called Banquet. That's spelled B-N-Q-T, by the way. Brows cost money, Rico. Even in the real world sometimes. Yeah. The band mm-hmm. includes Ben Bridwell of Band of Horses and Jason Lytle of Granddaddy. Their new album comes out later this month. Here's a taste of their song, Hey Banana.
4: Hello. I
2: caught up with Alex the last time Franz Ferdinand dropped a record. Here he is to DJ your dinner party.
7: Hey, this is Alex Kapranos, and this is my dinner party soundtrack. The first track I'd like to pick is called Car Song, and it's by R.M. Hubbard and Aidan Moffat.
8: A weekend away from Pells and Paranoia was the plan. So we headed for familiar territory.
7: Hubby comes from a a real kind of punk rock background. Although he's coming from that style of playing the guitar, he plays a flamenco guitar and plays in this really gentle, beautiful way. Aidan has one of these very deep Scottish voices and tells these very evocative tales that draw you in. Let's sell our home and all our things and buy a camper van. And live on service station, junk food and roadside pub lunches. He switches and he starts singing. It feels like the whole song rises and swells. And what
4: we can't build in bricks, I can build in my heart. Now we know how it
7: takes, and we know where to start. It's a song about escape as well, and wanting to go off and find something greater than where you are. I guess that should be what a good party is as well, you know, like, like you've taken time out of the ordinariness of everyday life and got together with these people who mean a lot to you.
4: And forget each and we
7: The second song is Radioactivity by Kraftwerk, the pioneers of electronic music. Here your blood's going to pump around your body a little bit faster while this is going but at the same time it's not going to interfere with any conversation like like if you're hearing some fantastic bit of gossip to your left. I think at the time they were a little bit misunderstood because they presented themselves as being quite cold and robotic that there was no emotion in the music which is completely not true. It's sort of almost tragic the wistfulness and pathos within Kraftwerk. Yeah. Most folk that I would invite to a dinner party love craftwork, and they'd be very happy to listen to some. So I'm making it for them. I'm making up for my pals. What can I say? <laughs> so number three, I want to get sort of like bring the beat up a little bit more, and have a piece of music that might sort of get the crazier members of the the congregation sort of, up on their feet. The song I'd like to choose is Cumbia Campesina and it's by a band called Los Coraleros. Um, you have to excuse my pronunciation. Cumbia evolved in Latin America. It's sort of folk music of the area, but not really, it's kind of party music as well. It has a very distinctive beat. The tempo is really slow, but over the top of it you have a double-time percussion thing going, so you have this music which has space in order for the melody to, to exist, but also this kind of, yeah, uplifting rhythm. So, if I had to play one of our songs at this dinner party, I know the one, I'd, I'd pick Stand On The Horizon. We worked on this song with a Norwegian guy called Todd Terrier. He comes from a different world from us. It sounds like something that neither of us would have done on our own, which is what a collaboration should be some of the parts is no the whole is greater than the sum of the parts i can't remember the expression sounds pretty good that's all i mean
2: Alex Kapranos of the band Franz Ferdinand. His latest collaboration is the indie rock supergroup Banquet. Look for their debut later this
0: month. All right, coming up, singer-songwriter Amy Mann answers your etiquette questions, and actor Hank Azaria talks about his work on The Simpsons. You know, I've done a bunch of stuff since then, my friend, and
2: some dramatic work, too. He talks about him a little, I guess, when the Dinner Party download continues.
0: I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. Welcome back to the Dinner Party Download, your audio arts and leisure section. Later, singer-songwriter Amy Mann tells us why cats and Andrew Garfield are her muses. Mm. But first, that happens. But first, <laughs> let's meet our guest of honor.
2: All right, and this week, it's actor Hank Azaria. He has had a huge career with character roles in films like The Birdcage and TV shows like Ray Donovan. But he is probably best known as the voice
0: behind a slew of characters on The Simpsons, including Moe, Chief Wiggum, and Apu. His latest TV project finds him back in front of the camera. He stars in Brockmire, a comedy about a disgraced old-school baseball announcer attempting a comeback after a public meltdown goes viral. Uh, Heads up, there are a few beeped words ahead. When I spoke with Hank, I asked him where the idea for Brockmire came from.
9: Brockmire, Jim Brockmire, who talks like this. This is the (laughs) generic baseball announcer voice that I grew up with in the 70s, Mm. especially. Still exists, but was very prominent in the (laughs) 70s. So the idea formed over... I I mimicked it as a teenager and got kind of fascinated with it in my 20s, especially the comedic concept of, do these guys always (laughs) sound like this? Uh Not only when they're broadcasting, but when they go home and have dinner and argue with the wife or have <laughs> sex with the girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as, as they're saying Good Goodfellas, right? Fat- Saturday nights are for the wives, Friday nights are for the goomba as Johnson <laughs> swings and misses as a breaking ball down low and weight.
0: Well, that's the thing. They always, they, as long as you call the game, everything is a forgivable, right?
9: Harry Shearer pointed that out to me at The Simpsons many years ago. He was a brilliant Vin Scully. Brilliant. In fact, the Vin Scully you hear, I think it's episode six of Brockmire, young Brockmire as a child is listening to Vin bin, Scully. Yeah. That's Harry. Uh, no way. You cannot, Imitating it, Vin Scully, yeah, you the can, great
0: Dodgers announcer. Yeah. Yes.
9: You can't tell the difference uh, between Harry and Vin Scully, if you close your eyes. Harry pointed out that these guys can say anything they like if they give the count afterwards. Yeah. And I thought, that con- <laughs> like let's stretch that concept to the max.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like,
9: what if he freaked out yeah. in like an alcoholic blackout drunk, disgraced himself, and <laughs> but still sounded like this was a it, it still had the illusion of control. This voice, if nothing else, seems utterly controlled. To me, it's like the vocal equivalent of typeface or something. It's completely generic. It's the vanilla ice cream of voices.
0: As polished as the voice is, these guys would have three or four beers over the course of a game. They would tell ribald stories. Um, Part of me was nostalgic for when media was a little less polished.
9: Right. Um,
0: But what do you think? (laughs) A
9: part of you is happy we don't have to put up with that crap anymore. And
0: also coming home after drinking six beers at work, probably not the best thing for (laughs) these families. So what are your thoughts on this bygone era? Should we keep it bygone? Well,
9: you know, I think a lot of those guys, certainly famously guys like Harry Carey or some other guys, uh, beer was a big part of the game. Pretty openly, you know. We uh, famously in the seventies, Cosell actually got in a little bit of trouble sometimes for mm. getting a little too loose on the air from alcohol. Mm. And, you know, and look, Brockmire is absolutely an alcoholic, drug addict, sex addict, and it's and it's it's what got him in trouble on the air. Yeah, He's still dealing with it. Watching this show, I mean, we haven't seen drinking like this on television since mm. The Mad Men. You know, one of the f- interesting things to me about this project, we did it as a funny or die short. Like yeah. eight years ago. Yeah. And essentially, you know, I just I was just looking for the comedy to make sense. And what made sense for a guy to lose it this bad on the air was that he was just completely wasted. Yeah. Um, and a lot of old, as we just said, a lot of old these these old school guys drank a lot. Yeah. Um excuse me, I have yeah. to burp. But I'm only drinking coffee, I promise. Can
0: you do someone else's burp? You're Hank Azera <laughs> That was
9: uh <laughs> that was uh, that was George Carlin burping. That's that was my own. I was to gonna George call Carlin. that. Yeah, so did fantastic. you catch it? Nice work. Um, thanks. So Drinking and being drunk became endemic to the character. Yeah. And here's where I have to credit Joel Church Cooper, the guy who, who wrote, who wrote of most episodes. of the episodes and head wrote the entire thing. When I turned it over to Joel, he kind of saw in it this alcoholic realism, this deep sadness and tragedy to the guy. This man is a symbol of what was wrong and right with America gone by that baseball tends to symbolize. Yeah. And in the same way that baseball is having a difficult time to translate itself into the modern era and keep kids interested, and Brock, Brock, he's unaware of the internet, you know, Completely. as he says. If I, listen, if I want porn, I'll, I'll buy a nudie mag like my father and his father before him. So yes. it, all of that is Joel.
0: He found like pathos around this character. And, I was and, shocked. And, yeah. So someone videotapes him melting down. Yeah. It goes onto the internet. And he becomes a verb to Brockmire yeah. is to like lose your mind. Uh, and then he has to wrestle between the public self and his real self. People want him to Brockmire. Right. Right? You're a public actor. That's redundant. You know, but you're you're a public figure. <laughs> well, not always. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you're quite a private actor.
9: <laughs>
4: but <laughs> it's the old joke.
9: You're an actor. Oh really? What restaurant? Uh,
0: us actors hear that a lot. How do you navigate the public self and the private self? People have expectations when they see you
9: at the street. I can I curse? Sure. Okay. My shrink, uh, who I used to go to a lot, who's a brilliant man, Phil Stutz. Who I've talked about before, with talks like this, Phil Stutz. <laughs> I've talked about him a lot on Mark Marin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he calls that exchange in the street that you're describing with actors, he calls that the double <laughs> you. The first you is somebody wants something from you. The second you is it's not even you they really want it from. It's whatever idea they have of you. Yeah. But um, And his description of it is, you know, our job as actors is to have people project stuff on us. Mm -hmm. And we sort of enact that. And it might be quite close to who we actually are. It might be wildly different.
0: As a voice actor, there was probably a point where you were famous, but people didn't recognize you. You know,
9: there's a larger point to that. Besides being, yes, I'm famous for for a voice actor, and that makes you edgy. Like, you know, I do other things, or I'm an actor, too. But there certainly was a time when, you know, Mo and Apu and Chief Wiggum were much more famous than I was. They probably still are. Mm. Um, and I sort of felt the need to point that out. But, you know, I was, you know, my voices were famous. I wasn't, which is weird. Mm. I'm a character actor, so people know me, but they don't know from where, which makes mm. protracted, strange exchanges. <laughs> Not just like, interesting. what movie are you in? But like, I know I know you. Do you go to Ohio State or... Are you in the, I've literally been asked all these questions, wow. frankly. Are you in the upholstery cleaning business? No. Oh, totally. So that kind of bruises your ego, too. And you're like, now you're like, what kind of freak am I? I'm like, how are they supposed to know who I am? Yeah. I'm getting touchy about this. Or I even love your comedy. I love your comedy. It's like, you know, I do dramatic work as well, young man. Exactly. Or whatever kind of freak you, you're starting to become. Fame will, you know... Hollywood and fame is like your crazy drunken uncle. It will love you in one moment and then swat you in the next. Everybody, nobody's immune from that. It's going to mess with you Yeah, and you're going to have to stare this uh, demon down. Yeah, I look forward to it. Um. (laughs) (laughs) I I wish that for you. Thank you, thank you. I look forward to you squaring (laughs) off against that demon like Luke Skywalker versus his own Darth Vader in that weird cave that Yoda sent him into.
0: Um, Well, look, we have two standard questions we ask in our show. And the first question is what question... Do you not like being asked? Are you tired of being asked in interviews? Uh, you know what? I get tired of being asked. What's that?
9: Where do you get what are the what are the origins of these voices? Not just Brock but Simpsons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, where do these voices come from? Uh, it's something that I've been talking about for like twenty five years, <laughs> uh-huh. and so, and I almost feel bad. Like my God, am I repeating myself? Like, yeah, really, to folk, but you know. Another narcissistic actor thing. Probably not everybody's up to the minute on every single interview I've ever given. So it's probably news to them. But, yeah, I guess that one I get a little tired of.
0: All right. Well, our second standard question is, tell us something we don't know. And this is something you haven't shared in interviews before. It can be an interesting personal fact or an
9: interesting piece of trivia
0: about the world.
9: Wow. I've heard you ask you think I would have prepared better because I've heard the show. I've heard you mm. ask these questions before. Mm. Um I
0: could feed you. There's something I found interesting in your bio, so you clearly have mentioned it, but i I'd never heard of it.
9: what? Which is
0: the fact that growing up, you spoke the ladino language. Yeah, see, or no? but that's disinformation. That's okay. fake oh. news. Oh, all right. All My right. parents did; and they're okay. both
9: fluent, but not me. I just
0: had never heard of Ladino, which is a that seems is like a hybrid of uh, Spanish and Hebrew. That right? is
9: interesting. That is a that is, most Jews in America are Ashkenazi mm-hmm. Jews, Eastern mm-hmm. European Jews. Mm-hmm. Their dialect is Yiddish. Uh, Sephardic Jews are Spanish Jews. These mm-hmm. are the Jews that left Spain in 1492 in the diaspora. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the catholics said you know what either convert or get the hell out of here or die yeah. dying's a definite option <laughs> and um my family went to greece Salonica, greece uh, for many for like 500 years before they all came over to america and yes that so spanish mm-hmm. was the home dialect and it's but it's it's if you listen to it it sounds like spanish okay. it's written in hebrew characters
3: it's written from right to
9: left in hebrew characters. it's a very strange um language. Yeah, I guess that's pretty interesting. Can you give me, and we'll close with this, a Brockmire line said in... In Ladino? Yeah. Uh, Well, before I Brockmire it, my mom and her contemporaries, they got a big kick out of expressions that were strange. For example, um, jaba juba. Jaba juba. It's not an expression, but it it literally translates, forget the housecoat. Forget about the housecoat. Huh. But they just found it hilarious that yeah. Jabba Juba would be something that you yeah. could actually say. Yeah, it sounds so like a Brackmeyer character. So, Brackmeyer could say, Hey, the fourth ending is brought to you by Jabba Juba. Mm-hmm. Folks, if you're going to forget your house code, why don't you forget it with Jabba Juba brand house coats?" Actually, it sounds kind of Yoda esque. Yeah. Jabba Juba? My mm-hmm. <laughs> Yoda's pretty rough. Jabba right the here. Hutt. Jabba the cause That's why. Cause yeah. Jabba the Hut. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, 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 oh. oh, 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 oh. Jedi. Oh, oh, oh.
4: Lord, Hank
0: Azaria as Jabba the Hutt, Yoda, and Brockmire. Yeah. The latter is the main character in the TV show of the same name. It launches this week on IFC. You should definitely check it out. Mm. And Rico playing behind us is some Ladino music. It's beautiful. This isn't Hank singing it, though, is it? (laughs) I mean, it could be, right? You never
2: know with that guy people, we had to edit some great bits out of that chat, unfortunately, but we will be airing them soon on a special podcast-only bonus episode. Make sure to catch it. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your app of choice.
0: All right, we've learned about a new language. Now let's learn some manners. Yes, each week you send us your questions about how to behave, and here to answer them this week is Amy Mann. Yeah. In the (laughs) 80s, her band... There we go. You can cheer, Rico. (laughs) Hooray. Yeah. In the 80s, her band Till Tuesday hit the charts with the now-classic song Voices Carry. She's since become a hugely respected solo artist with Grammy and Oscar nominations under her belt. She also recorded and toured with fellow pop maestro Ted Leo. So good. And her new album Mental Illness finds her telling cutting and unabashedly sad stories In song form, here's a clip from the single called Goose Snow Cone.
1: Looking into the face of the Goose Snow Cone, I could pick up the pace, but I couldn't go on. I just wanted to play. But I
0: ended up gone. Oh, Amy, welcome.
1: How sad does that sound already? <laughs> it it's so
0: beautiful. But but we're pretty sure this song is not about a goose. It's not
1: about a goose. It was inspired by looking at an Instagram picture of a cat named Goose. And mm. Goose has a fluffy white little face and she looks like a little snow cone. <laughs> And I started writing this sad little song, which, you know, it immediately became sad and not really about a cat. But the cat was making me sad because I was homesick. I was on the road and it was all snowy and I was cold. You're known,
2: actually, for this kind of melancholy music. Are there nights when it's just too much? Where you're just like, I can't I can't go on stage <laughs> and do this again.
1: Uh, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I think there are probably a couple of songs that super bring you down. But I think that, honestly, with that song, the saddest thing is the music part, you know, like the background vocals come in and they, they're humming. And there's so, this yeah. just so like, oh, my God, why is that so sad? Some people humming in harmony. I don't know. I
0: think I read that you were talking about you were listening to a lot of easy listening music. And that's kind of where you got the idea to bring in those sort of harmonies. Is that Yeah, true?
1: there's a kind of easy listening music that has banks of very soft vocals that go into reverb, and I, I really love that, especially in, a, in contrast to just one acoustic guitar, you know, like keeping it very, very simple. Mm. So it's yeah. like
2: lush voices against a very spare yeah. musical
0: accompaniment. Do you, do you ever get self-conscious about listening to easy listening music?
1: Uh, well, you know, I, <laughs> I have friends who are on board, you know, like Ted Leo and I, driving around on tour, we're listening to Bread, so I feel like, mm, oh, Ted yeah. Leo's Ted Leo's so, down yeah. with this. But a friend of mine gave me this record called Feelings, and it's got one of those <laughs> covers, you know, like two people in, like in the sunset. And it's easy... It's like a K-Tel record something, sort compilation. Sort of, yeah. But it's easy-listening versions of easy-listening songs. So there was a cover that softened up the song Feelings... <laughs> As if that was already too. That was too edgy. The original was too edgy. <laughs> and I, the edges are softer. I, soft, I yeah. just loved it. I think because, like the people who do those records, the arranging is so great. Hmm. So there's sort of a weird, proficiency in the arrangements, but the effect is really soft. I don't know. So it yeah. once again, it's a contrast, like the arrangement is almost edgy in its softness. It, yeah. <laughs> it's a snake eating its own soft tail. It is kind of amazing.
2: They throw mm. everything at those songs, orchestras and everything, and yeah. the effect is one of quiet sleepiness.
1: I think it gets, when you have a lot of tracks and a lot of things uh, layered on top of each other, it starts to feel really soft, which is why I want, wanted this record to be really stripped down because yeah. I knew I wanted it to be slow and sad and not try to have any up-tempo songs at all. But I do think, you know, you can't have like a million soft layers because it gets too much. Um, Why did you want it to be that depressing? I mean, it's called mental illness. Well, look, wanted it to be depressing or knew it would be depressing because (laughs) Mm. I'm the one writing it. I mean, Uh. there's because every time I write a song, it's the things I'm interested in are people with problems and people who are broken and can't get unbroken. And like, that's just interesting to me.
0: Yeah. One of your songs is called Patient Zero, which is about a Hollywood arrival with big dreams but kind of everything sours and the dreams dry up. Um, As someone who lives in L.A. and is an entertainer and has worked in movies, what does this say about the world you you move in?
1: Well, it's not necessarily... I'm going to use some double negatives. It's not necessarily not that kind of world. I mean, movies with gigantic budgets and people who are trying to maximize their profits and people who were like I want a part of that and I'm going to edge this guy out. I mean that does go on. This was inspired by Andrew Garfield cuz I met him at a party and it the was actor. a long yeah, it was a long time ago and I feel like he's a sensitive real artist and I had this moment where I was like I worry about this guy in this uh-huh. world because he's <laughs> really cares about what he's doing and he really is a sensitive artist and And I think that it takes a kind of narcissistic toughness to Hmm. negotiate really those big blockbuster movies. I mean, he obviously was fine. Yeah. Yeah. He figured it it out. He figured it out. God bless him. I don't know how because I just I think it's tough. I think it's hard. All this
2: said, by the way, this sad music, we should point out that you are you've been welcomed by the comedy world. You were on the show, Portlandia. Tom Sharpling, the comedian, did one of your videos, directed one of your videos. Yeah, two of them, yeah. Where did they find the kinship with your music? How did they take you, of all musicians, on as the comedian's musician?
1: We just travel in the same circles. And so my husband and I, Michael Penn, started, I mean, this is a long, long time ago, but we started having comedians be part of our show. And here, here's why. Like, every time we would play together after the show, we'd go like, well, that was pretty good. But we'd both say, like, I never know what to say on stage. And so I had the, had the idea of... Well, we need, like, a pinch hitter. You bring in an expert. <laughs> like, who's good at talking yeah. on stage but a comedian? Uh. And so for the banter, we'd have guys come on. And then we took it on tour. And Patton Oswald did a lot of them. Uh. David Cross did some. Paula Tompkins did some. This was
2: like between songs. You'd play a couple of sad <laughs> songs, right. and then they Patton would, would just come up. <laughs> they were like your yo-man. Yeah, your hype man. <laughs> That's <Like. laughs>
1: exactly right. It was just, it was so much fun. And it weirdly made sense because... Those guys are so wordy in the best possible way and sort of focused people on listening to the language and then they would be more, almost more attentive and kind of hooked into the music. Life is good, you look around And think I'm in the right neighborhood
3: But honey,
1: and just moved in Life is grand And wouldn't you like to have it go As planned?
0: Singer-songwriter Amy Mann, this is that aforementioned track called Patient Zero from her new album Mental Illness. She'll be back in a minute to answer your etiquette questions. Plus, Daily Show expat Jason Jones tells us a story, and we learn about the salt of the earth.
2: Like, the actual salt. The stuff from the ground. Right, when the Dinner Party download continues. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Download, the culture show that helps you win your dinner party.
0: I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. Coming up, comedian Jason Jones, star of the new show The Detour, learns cinnamon is the spice of his neighbor's life. Oh, yeah. It'll make sense soon. But first, we continue our conversation with singer-songwriter Amy Mann. Indeed. We
2: just got through talking with her about her new album, Mental Illness, and now we turn to our listeners' social ills. Amy, they sent in some etiquette questions. They need them answered. Are you ready for these?
1: Yeah, well, we'll see. All
0: right, so this first question comes from Marina in Washington, D.C., and she writes, I was waiting in a line and overheard an extended conversation between a man and a woman next to me in which he was clearly and egregiously mansplaining to her about several different topics. The woman said nothing to my annoyance. I really wanted to respond but figured it was a private conversation. When is it appropriate to call someone out for mansplaining? Uh,
1: that's mm. you know probably not in this situation. Yeah. It's a private conversation. <laughs> she's got her own she's got her own cross to carry with this yeah. with this guy.
2: You're not going to help anything. Yeah, it doesn't
1: seem like. it's it's sort of it, it's everybody's personal burden to um, correct their personal mansplainers. I think if it was a more public, you know, I don't know, like if somebody was on a panel and. And uh, correcting, you know, the female uh other Panelist. panelists and <laughs> Oh, did you just mansplain god. any man <laughs> Oh my god I was Get just providing an example. Rico just <laughs> now how would you deal with me? <laughs> Let's see what happens. Yeah, point point it out. Laugh. Ridicule. No, yeah.
2: That's right. I think that just happened. <laughs> Here's something from Anonymous in New York. Anonymous writes, a few weeks ago, a coworker asked about one of my tattoos. The next Monday, he came into work with the same tattoo in the same place. Oh, my goodness. I have no idea how to react Uh, to this or if there's even anything to be done. What do you think?
1: Ew. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) I don't like that. This is creepy. Yeah. There's there's nothing to be done (laughs) Mm -hmm. post-tattoo. It's Mm -hmm. a tattoo, and (laughs) he's probably not taking it off. I think this is one of those cases of information that you should not forget that you are dealing with a kind of a stalkery, mm-hmm. appropriating. Yeah. Uh, so just it's like a he- heads up, a serious heads up because it, it's weird. The only yeah.
0: thing I can think of that would make this acceptable would be if um, the one tattoo had two dots. And the other tattoo, like, finish the ellipsis or something like that. <laughs> yeah, if it was just... a whimsical response. yeah. I
1: mean, I have a tattoo that's similar to a tattoo that somebody else had, but, you know, it's a discussion. Would you mind? Is that weird? Yeah. Are you
0: talking about your Tupac tattoo on your stomach? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. My Nixon back piece. Yeah. I got it from Roger Stone. You know, me and Roger Roger discussed it. it. He was like, no, man, I'm cool. I'm cool. Spread the word. Well,
2: we're learning a lot. There you go, Anonymous. Amy and Roger Stone hanging out talking tats.
0: Godspeed.
2: I
1: mean, make no mistake. It's creepy and it should be noted. And this guy, you know, that's definitely like, that's permanent creep. All right. This next question comes from Alexis
0: via Instagram. And the question is, how would you best handle it if someone started humming Voices Carry at a dinner or event?
1: I hate I hate this. It's so wildly passive aggressive. Because the expectation is like what are, like oh my god, I recognize that song. Yeah, that's my song. Uh, ha, 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 you got me. <laughs>
2: nice. To- what if they didn't recognize you? Maybe it maybe not Oh, they didn't. oh that's come even on. Even weirder. Come on.
1: What are the uh, that would be <laughs> Even yeah. weirder. It
2: must happen occasionally though that you're like wandering through some place and voices carry is on. It's
1: just the worst feeling. Really? It's really, really weird. Yes. It's very you feel very self-conscious. That you want to get out of the supermarket. You don't
0: feel like, I just made two more cents. No, <laughs> or whatever <no. laughs> whatever royalties remain at this point. You're in the
2: mall, you're like, I'm going to splurge a little. Yeah. There's money yeah. rolling in as I listen.
1: Gum. <laughs> All, right. All
2: right. Here's uh, our last question. This comes from uh, another anonymous. Jeez, nobody wants mm. to identify themselves. Anonymous says, I have a friend who calls me almost every day and does not know when to end a phone conversation. Oof. Eventually, I'll give bored a huhs or even make up excuses about having a kitchen emergency. She still doesn't catch the hint. How do I ask her to dial things back, nice one, anonymous, without hurting her feelings?
1: Yeah, this is, this is rough. I totally relate. I think the thing to do is to, at the start of the conversation, say, hey, I don't have 10 minutes to talk, but let's let's go. Oh. And then set a, uh-huh. set a timer and then I ding, like ding, ding, ding. Oh, my God, I got to go. And then really, you just have to hang up and you, it <laughs> won't feel good because you're wanting the other person to go. Oh, no problem. But <laughs> they're they not, They're not going to let you off the hook. They don't want to let you off the hook. They oh, yeah. want you on the hook. <laughs> that is where they want you.
0: You just have to reconcile yourself to the hook,
2: Anonymous.
0: (laughs) We're going to hang up the phone on this conversation. I'm
1: very offended.
0: Um, Thank you for mansplaining to our audience. (laughs) Amy Mann, I get it. Yes, you're welcome. (laughs) Amy Mann, her new album is called Mental Illness. Don't hum it in front of her. She heads out on tour later this month. And folks, if you have a query about human nature that needs answering, head to our website, it's dinnerpartydownload.org. Just click contact. And now, the main course, the part of the show where we
2: talk about food. And today, Brendan, we're going to talk about the stuff that makes food worth eating. Another wine segment. I welcome (laughs) it. No, salt is what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. All right.
0: Well, that... Makes you want to drink wine,
2: so okay, uh, it's an excellent thing in that way. It's also the magical seasoning that actually brings out flavors and spices in food and actually makes it palatable. That too, we were talking about this around the office and we realized we didn't know much about salt or how it does what it does or how best to use it. So I sat down with Eric Schultze. He is a science writer and senior scientist at Memphis Meats in the Bay Area, They're developing cruelty-free meat grown in a lab, among other things. I first asked how and why humans came to grind up what's basically a rock and put it on their food.
10: We probably got this idea of eating a rock out of the ground. This is going to sound really weird. We probably were accidentally tasting our own sweat and realized it was salty. And then we probably ate meat. We've been eating meat on this planet for about a million years. Um, And some of it probably tasted salty. And you could watch a deer go lick uh, a rock in the ground and you could put two and two together that maybe that was contributing to the saltiness. Um, Uh, And all it took was someone to lean down and lick that rock. Yeah. And then you're like, now if I kill that animal that was licking that rock,
2: put the rock on the animal, fry it up. Now I'm really talking. You got it. Humans are insane. We're the best. The best. So this is a food segment, scientifically speaking. What is the biggest piece of advice you would give me for deploying salt in my kitchen?
10: Rico, you're not using enough salt.
2: <laughs> now, that that
10: seems counterintuitive to me. Isn't salt bad for you? Well, from a health perspective, yes. Too much salt can be very bad for you. But if we're just talking about flavor and taste, most people are under seasoning their food and could definitely use way more salt than they currently are. Okay, so let's say I'm going to cook a steak. How do I use salt to make it taste as good as possible? So you should do what's called dry brining, or it's effectively just liberally salting both sides of, say, your steak, for example. Okay. And then allowing that salt to effectively soak into the meat. But I mean, like, how much? So in general, I say if you're using kosher salt, you should just see specks of pink shining through the salt. So the meat is white with salt? Yes. That's a lot of salt, man. It is. It is a lot of salt. So what you want to do is liberally salt the whole thing, and then shake off almost all of it. And then what's left is stuck to it, and it should be wet. By the way, it should be starting to soak in. And then that's when the magic starts happening. What is that magic? What's happening? Well, that by that magic I mean science, um, <laughs> and what's some what's real cool stuff happening at the molecular level. The sodium and the chloride separate. And the sodium ions go to work. Chloride plays almost no role in this process. Hell with chloride. To hell with chloride. Yeah. The sodium is very small. And so basically it can go anywhere it wants. Um, But what happens is muscle is insoluble. It cannot dissolve in water. Okay. That sounds really weird. But if muscle could dissolve in water, we would just be a big bag of like protein mush. (laughs) So we have to dissolve that muscle. So the way we dissolve muscle is with salt. The sodium gets in there and it starts a whole process of dissolving the muscle into its component proteins. Those muscle proteins then play with all the fats, release wonderful flavors and aromas and things that we call delicious meat when cooked. (laughs) So
2: So the salt makes it possible for the proteins to mix with the fat. That's where the flavor is coming from.
10: You're exactly right. The salt unlocks the ability for the muscles and the fats to get together to make sweet, sweet molecular love to the fat.
2: (laughs) That's a very obscene thing that I'm doing all of a sudden in this kitchen. So uh, you do this for how long I put on the salt? Do I just throw it on before I put the meat on the grill? It
10: it depends really, right? Um, Everything in science depends. It depends on time and temperature. So the equivalent distance a sodium ion has to travel from like the surface of a piece of steak, let's say it's an inch and a half thick to the center, is like you trying to walk all the way to the moon. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. At room temperature, hour and a half, two hours. You know, if you've got something to do, you can salt it, you can dry brine it, and you can throw it in the fridge. Okay. For six to eight hours if you wanted to. That's it. What if I wanted to cook chicken instead? Same process. In fact, chicken's even easier because their muscle fibers are smaller and a little bit more soluble. Uh, and also the concern of, for example, pathogenic bacteria, like you're having raw meat sit out with, with salt on it, actually will probably prevent most of the bacteria from growing. The salt would inhibit that.
2: Wow. Is there anything salt can't do? Can I can I use it for armor? Or?
10: <laughs> you could. Uh, you'd be the heaviest knight on the planet. That would be your name, Sir Sir Heavy-A-Lot.
2: Does it matter what salt I use, by the way? If you have like, you know, one of those fancy
10: pink ones. If you like the taste of metal, by all means, use fancy salts. What gives them their color is the same thing that gives like a a diamond its yellow hue or brown or whatever. It's the impurities that are trapped inside of the salt itself uh, are usually metals and minerals that are found from those like areas. Now, some people like that, but uh, in terms of it's characteristic chemical it's just sodium chloride there's no difference so you might as well just use a really good high quality kosher salt so i'm paying all that extra money for basically polluted salt right you're you're paying for the impurities that got trapped inside the salts that uh, so it's great marketing eric schultze senior scientist
2: at memphis meats
0: enrico you said his whole deal was he's creating meat in a lab that's right So he should create something with a protein structure that dissolves more easily so you don't have to salt it as long.
2: That's pretty good. Or how about create a meat that's already salted,
0: right? I like it. Well, how about a meat that bleeds ketchup? That's that's perfect. With the skin of a bun. How about meat that uses a turn signal once in a while? (laughs) Now we're beyond the pale.
5: (laughs) And now, time to eavesdrop.
0: Actor Jason Jones was a correspondent for The Daily Show. Now he plays the patriarch of the Parker family on the TBS comedy The Detour. This season, the Parkers move from Syracuse to, quote, the most stressful city on earth, New York. Today, Jason tells us a real-life tale about a typical night in the Big Apple.
8: Not unlike the family on the show, my wife and I moved down to New York City from a place called Kaneda, Kanakistan, and uh we we found it just as crazy when we started living here There was a little mishap that happened to us one night being parents of two kids you don't get a lot of sleep so we struggle to get our two-year-old down who's kicking and screaming to go down she goes down around i don't know 11 because she liked to watch the wire with us bizarre she'd she'd always come out and sit up and she'd go wise on wise on wise on and uh, we'd let her watch The Wire. We weren't, I'm not saying we were good parents. My wife is breastfeeding our baby down. We were just drifting off, maybe for about an hour, hitting that deep REM. When we get a knock on the door to wake us up. I went to the door, put the little stupid chain on, like that was going to do anything. And I opened the door, and there was a six foot four intimidating man standing there who asked me, uh, do you want me to come in? to check out the digs for the girl. I went, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's 3 o'clock in the morning, pal. He's like, I know. That's why I want to get at this. Open the door so I can check out the digs for the girl. And I went, I, first of all, it's not 1974. I don't know what digs are. And secondly, girl, what girl? What are you talking about? And then it just sort of dawned on me. Oh, wait, you're dressed like a, I don't want to use the word pimp, but you look like a pimp. He said, uh, I don't call myself that. I'm more of a protection agency. He was there to check out the digs for uh, a lady of the night who uh, was under his protection. And I said, hey, man, listen, I, I think you got the wrong place. Uh, my wife is in the other room. He's like, I don't care about that. I went, okay, well, I also have two kids sleeping in the other room. And he went, listen, man, I've seen it all. I went, No! No, I'm sure you have. I know I'm not doubting you that you haven't seen it all, but you've got you've definitely got the wrong apartment. He's like, "Is this this five D?" Yeah, it's five D, but you know, maybe maybe you misheard. You call me deaf? I'm like, no, I'm not. Call- maybe you should call the guy that called you. I'm assuming it's a guy and clarify the right apartment. So he calls. He finds out that it is in fact five B, not five D. So I go back to bed have a little laugh with my my wife like, this new york is crazy and then we get a phone call it's my doorman and he went uh, excuse me mr jones there's a person here to see you i went i think the person already came up and, and he went no no it's a new person um her name is cinnamon i said uh dino is cinnamon a uh, Lady of the night? He went, um... I went, do you know, does she look like a lady of the night? Yes, very much so. Should I send her up? I'm like, no, no, it's not my apartment. So it turns out the guy in 5B, is in Bob, not 5D where I was, is a married guy, kind of buttoned up, and uh, I heard him come into the hallway, and he was arguing with someone, maybe the doorman, maybe maybe Cinnamon, and he was getting really heated about it, and all I just cared was like, no, no, he's already been here, no, no! The way his voice was sounding to me, it just really annoyed me, and I went, you know what, I know he's married, I'm going to out him in front of his wife next time. Maybe not out him, but certainly let him know that I know. And, uh, that's when his wife stormed out of their apartment, and screamed, is she coming up or not? And uh, yeah, they were gonna—they were gonna threesome. I've been trying to write this story. Uh, I, In fact, wrote a draft of it for this season, and the, the feedback from the network was, mm, "I don't know. I, I just don't believe this story. It just doesn't feel believable. Like it would happen in this world." Uh, <laughs> to, to which I went, "Okay, all right. I'll save it for something else." <laughs>
0: Jason Jones, oh he's the creator and star of The Detour. <laughs> Season two is now airing on TBS. And he's also an executive producer on his wife's show. That would be Full Frontal with Samantha B.
2: And that's the Dinner Party Download for this week, folks. If you can't wait till next week, look down at your phone, find the app that says Podcasts, Search for The Dinner Party Download, subscribe, and you will have
0: hours of us to deploy at your leisure. And that us includes our senior producer, Jackson Musker, our associate producers, Krista Ripple and James Kim, Christina Lopez is our associate digital producer, thanks to engineer Jake Gorski, our intern is Emerald Douglas. Till next time, bon appétit.